The problem with comfort is that you can be so tempted to prioritise our comfort and ease that we miss out on something far more important, far more valuable, and far more worthwhile. As Apostle Peter, he didn't want Christians to make that same mistake. He didn't want them to go for a life of comfort and ease and miss out on the worthwhile, valuable, exciting life that God had called them to. And so in his first letter, he encouraged them to follow Christ in serving. And we're going to read from 1 Peter, chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 11. So it's in 1 Peter, chapter 4, and we're going to start from verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. You think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised. Through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. And the power. Forever and ever. Amen. In this passage, Peter did not use the language of comfort and ease. Instead he used the the language of battle. When he said, arm yourselves with the same attitude of Christ, he used the image of a soldier putting on his armour. A soldier does that so that he is ready for battle. Because he knows without his armour, then he's going to be vulnerable to defeat, to failure. And in a similar way, we need to put on the attitude of Christ to prepare for battle. Because without it, we too will be heading for disaster. So what is this attitude? What is this attitude that we need to put on as an armour in our lives? 
Well, first of all, it's a call to think of ourselves as being done with sin. That we see ourselves as we're no longer defined by a rebellion against God. That we're dead to living a life of selfish self-centeredness. Of course, this means that we need to go against our natural tendencies. If we have this attitude, Peter says in verse 2, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. If we do this, we don't just we just don't do what comes naturally. We don't do what feels good. What brings us immediate satisfaction or pleasure or instant gratification. What we desire and what we want to do are not going to be the masters of our lives anymore. So we need to go against what we feel like. But we also need to go against what we used to do. If you look at verse 3, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. The Christians that Peter was writing to, they were mainly from a Gentile background. They'd been saved out of a pagan culture. So they used to live lives that were characterised by these things. By sexual immorality, by wild parties, by alcohol abuse, by the worship of idols. But Peter was calling them to recognise that they'd made a decisive break from that past. Those things used to characterise their lives. That's what they used to do. But things have changed. Their lives have been transformed. Now they have to turn their back on their old way of life. Now our stories, our life stories, might be different from the guys that Peter was writing to. But wherever we've come from, Peter calls us to stand against what we used to do. We aren't defined by our past. We don't need to get stuck in the trap of our old habits and bad behaviour and attitudes. God is calling us to leave our past behind. But he's also asking us to leave the world behind. If we think of ourselves as dead to sin, then we need to go against the flow of this world. Verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. We live in a world where everybody is encouraged just to do what you want. Follow your desires. Give in to your cravings. Be and do whatever you feel like. That's the message out in the world, isn't it? And so the idea of denying yourself, of going against what you feel like, of saying no to your desires, 
is not only seen as strange in the world, it's actually offensive in the world. If we live this way, we are very likely that we will be criticised and ridiculed as narrow-minded, intolerant, old-fashioned, out-of-date, prudish, judgmental, bigoted. But Peter, he's saying, so what? Because this letter that Peter wrote is a call for Christians to live as aliens and strangers in this world. Whatever generation we're part of, God's people are called to be counterculture. To stand out from this world and to be different. But why? Why are Christians called to deny themselves? To turn their back on their old way of life? And to go against the flow of this world? Well look back at verse 1. Peter says that this is because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now in first reading... This might seem like it's a a call to accept the sanctifying impact of suffering in our lives. Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were really suffering from a whole host of different things. But especially in persecution for their faith. And And he wrote this letter to encourage them to keep on going for Christ. So he's already talked about the growth, excuse me, that can come in our lives when we go through times of suffering so in chapter 1 verse 7 he says this that different trials come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed suffering is always difficult and it's always painful But it's like a crucible that can test and purify and strengthen our faith in Christ. That's true. But I don't think that's what Peter's talking about here. Because he's basing this teaching on Christ's suffering. We are to count ourselves dead to sin since Christ suffered in his body. And certainly Jesus didn't suffer so that he could avoid sinning. Instead this points to what Peter had just written about in the previous chapter. Vincent read it out to us already this morning. The suffering of Christ on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. On the cross, Jesus became our substitute. He he took upon himself our sin in a once-for-all, never-to-be-repeated act of love and grace. He took our punishment. He died our death. He suffered our 
hell. And so Christ is done with sin. Because he died to it. It has no claim on him ever again. As Jesus so wonderfully declared on the cross, it is finished. It is paid in full. And so if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, if we've accepted him as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then the same has happened to us. In Christ, we too have died to sin. The death sentence that our sin deserved and demanded has been paid in full. Sin no longer has any claim on us. We've been set free from its power and its penalty. That's not true of those people who have not trusted in Jesus. Unbelievers, well they're still in their sin. And one day they'll stand before God and be condemned. Verse 5, this is what Peter says. They will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But for us who have trusted in Jesus, we have been declared righteous in God's sight. And so if Jesus doesn't come back again eh, before, we will die, but we still will have eternal life. So Peter wrote about the believers who died as those who were judged according to men in regard to the body, but who live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Yes, they have died, but they will rise again and they will be with Christ forever. And so this is the attitude that Peter wanted us to put on as armour. He wants us to accept this as a reality in our lives. That through Christ, sin has been defeated. And our condemnation has been removed. And we've been set free from a life of sin. Because we've been given eternal life. So we shouldn't live like those who are heading for judgment. We shouldn't live in that old life again. We shouldn't live in sin any longer. Instead, this is a call to live out the freedom that we have through Jesus' death on the cross. This is how Paul put it in Romans chapter 6. Verse 6. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. (coughs) Of course, none of us live that out perfectly. None of us are going to live a, a sinless life from now on. But this is the attitude that we need to put on daily that will help us to go on and live a life that is connected that is, that is based on the reality 
that through Christ we are dead to sin. But being done with sin is only one side of this. It's only half of what Peter wants to tell us here. This other verse that that, that Vincent read out in chapter 2, verse 24, this is what it says. Jesus, it talks about Jesus and he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins. That's what we've just been talking about. But also so that we might live for righteousness. Jesus didn't just go to the cross so that we could be set free from sin and our evil human desires. He died so that we can live for God. And Peter summarized some of the aspects of what that life, that brand new life, should look like in each of our lives. First of all, he called us to be committed to prayer. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Verse 7. Jesus died to bring us to God so that we can live in relationship with God so we can enjoy His presence so we can experience His love so we can partner with Him in His kingdom work and we do this through the amazing gift of prayer of coming right into the very throne room of grace and experiencing his intimacy and his love. But to do this we need to approach God in the right way. Jesus talks about coming to God in spirit and in truth. Real prayer is not some kind of ecstatic experience where we kind of switch our brains off. It's not just mindlessly repeating words. Real prayer is rational and it's thoughtful. It includes all of who we are. And it's communication that is grounded on God's truth. And its aim is to seek God's will. So we need to be clear minded in this. We need to to be sensible, rational. We need to be able to distinguish between what is true and what is not true. The other thing is we need to be self-controlled, as it says here. That word literally means to be sober. not, Not to be drunk. Not to be deluded. Not to be deceived. Be able to think clearly. And it's this rational and clear thinking that is so important so we can really pray. So we can really draw into God's presence and experience that wonderful gift from Christ. So first of all, we need to be committed to prayer. Secondly, Jesus died so that we can be faithful in love. Above all, love each other deeply. This is actually the fourth time in this little letter that Peter tells us to love one another. He clearly understood the priority 
of love, loving others and living for God. But this time he ex- emphasized loving even when it's difficult, even when it's tough. Do you see that little word deeply there? The idea of that is being stretched or being strained. It's a picture of like muscles of an athlete that are stretched or strained to win a race. And in a similar way, we're called to love each other even when our relationships are strained. Even when our relationships are stretched to the limit, we're called to love each other. To love no matter what. That means we need to love even when somebody offends us or hurts us. Because as Peter says here in verse 8, love covers over a multitude of sins. The depth of love that God is looking for in us does not delight in finding fault with each other. It does not rejoice in exposing the faults of others. And it doesn't keep score. It doesn't keep a record of all the wrong things that person has done against us. Instead, the love that God wants us to express to each other is a love that seeks to understand, to forgive, to restore, and to encourage people to change. But this also means that we need to be willing to love in practical and sacrificial ways to offer hospitality to each other without grumbling like, love that little bit, without grumbling you ever grumbled as you set the table for dinner or made the dinner again? this is about real love love that opens up our homes love that opens up our diaries Love that opens up our hearts, that opens up our very lives to each other. In every way, every day and down to earth ways. Even when it's costly. That's the kind of love that God is looking for. But this is all because this love for each other is supposed to come from and is supposed to reflect Christ's love for us. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 13. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In the same way that we've just celebrated in communion, that amazing love, that's the love we're supposed to share. Our love for each other is supposed to keep on stretching in depth and endurance. Because the one that we follow is the one who stretched out his arms on the cross for us. This is only one of the ways that we can serve each other. Verse 10, Peter said this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, of course, there's lots and lots of debate and arguments, falling out over the whole issue of spiritual gifts. And you'll be glad to know we're not going to talk about this today. 
But we're just going to focus on some of the really clear things that Peter says about this. First of all, he says that we're called to be a steward of those gifts. Every Christian has received those gifts of God's grace. That means none of us are excluded from this. Also means that none of us can boast about having them. Because of just gifts that God has given us. Not that we've deserved it, not that we've earned it, but it's just God's gift of grace. So we're only responsible for administering them, for using them properly. God has entrusted them into our care. He's given us the responsibility to use them, not for our benefit, but to serve others. This is what Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 12. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God has gifted each one of us so we can be a blessing to each other. Not so we can show off or boast, but just so we can serve more effectively. Some of these gifts are about speaking God's word. Maybe in preaching or teaching or in discipleship or evangelism or, or encouraging. If that's your gift, then this is what Peter says. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. We need to be really careful how we speak then, don't we? We need to be very careful. That what we speak are not our thoughts, our ideas, our opinions, our advice. Instead we need to be careful that what we share is God's truth. Because that's all that matters. Then other gifts, they are about serving in more hands-on, practical ways, acts of mercy or help. If that's the case, Paul Peter says... If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. Be careful that what we do, we do it with God's patience and God's compassion and God's love motivating us, directing us, empowering us. But whatever gift God has given us, our goal should be the same. Verse 11 again, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Not that anybody goes and says, wow, isn't that person amazing? Look at all that they're doing. No, the idea is that people will say, isn't their God amazing? Because look what God is doing through them. We're called to use our gifts of speaking God's word or serving in God's strength so that people can hear God's truth, experience God's love and respond in giving God all the praise and all the glory. Because to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. But did you notice in verse 7 why this is so incredibly important? Peter says, the end of all things is near. Jesus is coming back again. None of us know when that will happen. But if Peter could talk about that day being soon, when he wrote this letter, 
And how much more can we see Jesus is coming soon today? This world doesn't have forever. The people around us who are loved and precious to God, they don't have much time left. The opportunities that we have to honour and glorify God in our lives on this earth, they won't always be here. So let's not waste any time. Let's not put it off any longer. Let's recommit ourselves to live passionately for God. A few years ago, there was a guy called Mr. Federson. He was released from prison in Vienna in Austria after serving two years for theft but he was soon arrested again when police were called to a suspected prison break after they saw someone on the roof of the jail but then they found out that nobody was trying to break out of that prison instead Federson he was trying to break back in to the prison he explained his reasons for this this is what he said Life is so much easier on the inside. They feed you, do your washing, let you watch TV, which I can tell you is much more than my mum allows me to do. So I thought I could sneak back in and I would blend in with the others and nobody would notice. Ridiculous, eh? Imagine wanting to break back, back into prison. And yet, is it any less ridiculous for us who have been set free from the prison of sin through the sacrificial death of Jesus that we might want to go back to our old way of living because it's more comfortable because it's easy I pray that all of us each and every one of us will put on the attitude of Christ as our armour that we'll live in this wonderful reality that we are dead to sin and that we will passionately and wholeheartedly live for God with everything that we are and have simply because we want to honour and glorify the one who loved us and gave himself for us let's just pray Father God we thank you thank you for your amazing love for us thank you for what you have done through sending your son the Lord Jesus that through our simple faith and accepting that gift of salvation and forgiveness and this brand new life that you have set us free from death we have, we have been set free from sin that we are dead to sin that, that, that sin no longer has any more claim on us ever again or oh, thank you for that wonderful joy that wonderful freedom that we can celebrate this morning Lord sometimes we forget that sometimes we go back to that old way of living Lord sometimes we try and fit in with that world sometimes we just try and go for an easy life Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to the very core today. You'd help us to again turn our back on that old way of life, Lord. Deny ourselves. 
accept that we have, have died to that old way of life through our faith in Christ and that we will recommit our lives to living for you with everything that we have and everything that we have Lord we believe that you, you, you are the one who deserves all the praise and all the glory we pray you'd help us to live that way each and every day of our lives in Jesus name